0: Good morning. It is really good to be here with you uh, in St. Austell this morning. And uh, I'm really thrilled that Pete is back over at Truro. And uh, I'm hoping I know they're going to have a blessing there with with Pete. And uh, so that's great. Um, But it's it's a real privilege to be able to share God's word with you. And as John was saying, that that we might know the Lord's power and the Lord's presence uh, together. There's always a call, isn't there, in the heart of God to go deeper. Uh, he wasn't my favorite comedian, but you remember that Jimmy Cricket guy? You know what his favorite catchphrase was? And Was it, and there's more? And there's more? Sometimes you wish, please, no more, no more. <laughs> but that was, and there's more. But in the Christian faith, we've never come to the end of, of exploring the love and the grace and the power of God. There's always more. And um, hopefully that, uh, as I share this morning, we might have that, something awakened within us. Maybe even some barriers removed for us pressing into the more of what God has for us as Christians. I, I, love, one of my hobbies so used to be just, just jumping in places, off, off rocks into the sea. You like doing that? Anybody like jumping in? I think they call it tombstoning, but I don't like, I don't like the term tombstoning. It's a bit ominous, isn't it? Yeah. So, just jumping off high places into deep water. I think we'll call it that. Not as catchy, but uh, a bit better. But I, I, just love doing it. There's a place just to the north of where I used to live, a little village called, town called Kirby Lonsdale. There's this bridge called the Devil's Bridge. There's all sort of a history into that, but we won't go into that. But it was a high point over the River Loon, and the River Loon was deep. And I remember as a kid, 14-year-old, sort of jumping, up, going onto this bridge. People used to love jumping in. They've passed a bylaw now banning you doing it, which is really unfair. But as a kid, I, I stood on that, the wall of that bridge, looking, and it took me about 10 minutes to actually launch myself off and into the water. It's about a 30-foot drop from the bridge into the water. And I remember thinking, "This isn't like the swimming pool." On the way down, you know, when you jump into a swimming pool, as soon as you jump, you're in the water. But from a high place like that, you've got a bit of time to think in the air. I had my eyes shut, thinking, "Where's the water gone?" <laughs> so I remember looking forward, which was a mistake. <laughs> it felt like Frank Tyson had hit me with an uppercut as I hit the water and uh, it took me ages to get in there, and, uh, but I'd done it. And a few years later, while well, I was growing up and married, and I put on a few pounds, but uh, look, I remember looking over the bridge thinking, that's nothing, what was I panicking for? So I just jumped over the bridge, went straight in, and it was nothing. Well, the jump was nothing, but having put on four or five stone, actually hitting the water was a whole different story. <laughs> the whole of my frame jarred, and I ached for a different reason for the day. I've, I've, I've not done it again since, not because I'm scared to do it, because I'm wondering what it might do to my body. But you know, I love, love jumping in and sometimes I wish I'd not instilled that in, in my children because my kids love jumping in off high places, into water. And uh, we went on holiday to Mallorca and we uh, went to this warm beach and my lad just saw this cliff face right into the water. He said, right. And he just started climbing. The cliff. I said, Zach, you've got to test the water first. You've got to test the depth. You don't know what's there. It could be rocks. It could be anything. No, no, it'd be all right. And he just started climbing up this cliff and I come down and... It wasn't just the jump into the water. He was going 10 feet, 15 feet, 20 feet up this cliff face. I'm thinking, okay, I better check myself. So being the dad I was, I just jumped in the water. I thought, I've got to swim out to where he was and check the depth of the water. Sure enough, when I got there, I did the old... And he must have been about 12 feet deep. I thought, that's enough. So... He jumped in from about 20, 25 feet off this cliff face and it was all sounding. It was all right. It was fun. And by this time, everybody on the beach is going, Whoa. so actually when he surfaced, everybody round of applause. It was sort of relief that he hadn't done any serious damage. But this, this jumping in off high places because the water's deep enough, taking the risk because there's depth there to cope with the risk that you take. That's something of where the heart of God wants us to be. And uh, I wonder whether sometimes we don't take risks because we haven't really understood how deep, how deep the Father's love for us is, that we haven't really understood how deep the flow of the Spirit is there to immerse and catch us and make us secure. And so my call this morning is for us to be a people who launch ourselves off, not because we're reckless, because we know something about this God that we love, this God that we serve. I want us to read from that famous passage of Ezekiel chapter 47. Ezekiel was a priest, and priests served in the temple in Jerusalem. But not this priest, because he'd gone into captivity into Babylon. And so he was a priest with an ache in his heart. He couldn't serve. He couldn't fulfill his life's mission way back in Jerusalem. But, you know, even though he was way over in Babylon, in modern-day Iraq, and compared with modern-day Israel, You know where his focus and his gaze was? His focus and his gaze was back at the temple. It was back at the heart of God. Back at the things of God and the kingdom of God. Even though he was well removed, his heart was only in one place. I think there's a lesson there for us straight away, isn't there? Because if you're a Christian today, you're a citizen of a different country. You switched nationality. You're no longer a citizen of earth. You're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. That's home. And we're not home yet. So where's your focus and your gaze today? Ezekiel wasn't home, but his focus was on home. And it didn't make him sit there thinking, twiddling his thumbs, thinking, oh, I long to be at home. No, he worked passionately for the things of God simply because his longing was great. I don't know if you've ever heard it said that uh, some people are so heavenly good, heavenly minded, they have no earthly use. Anybody, anybody ever heard that phrase? I don't believe that. If you're really heavenly minded, you'll be the maximum earthly use. Somebody has observed that it's those who thought the most about heaven that did the most for the kingdom upon earth. And this was Ezekiel. He worked tirelessly in the things of God because he longed for the place of of the nearness of God. And at one point in his, in his um, book, as he comes to the end, he has a vision of a perfect temple, chapters 40 and following. And uh, as he, he sees the end of this perfect temple, where the glory of God comes back again into the temple, he then, after the temple is this perfect place, because you know it's been, it's been ransacked by marauding armies, but Ezekiel longs for it to be rebuilt. And it's not that the temple has to be literally built. When Ezekiel captures the sense of God's purpose, he's a priest. He loves the temple. When he sees the perfect work that God is doing, he sees it in terms of an earthly temple. That's just who he was. But when God gets the temple right, when his glory fills the temple, that's chapter 43 of Ezekiel, then something else happens in chapter 47. Let's read for a little while, Ezekiel 47. The man brought me back to the entrance to the temple and I saw water coming out from the threshold of the temple towards the east. The temple laid east-west, the door of the temple faced east. So it's flowing out the direction of the temple. And you, you know the temple, that was this big oblong building basically surrounded by a courtyard and uh, in the oblong building, there were two rooms, the holy place and the most holy place, big doors on the front. Only the priests could go in there. But coming out of this most holy place then, under the under the door was this stream that began to flow, flowing eastwards. Jerusalem's on the west side of the River Jordan and the Dead Sea, so it's flowing out towards the River Jordan and the Dead Sea. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. It can't get straight out because the altar's in the way, so it's got to take a detour around the altar. Then he brought me out through the north gate. He's got to go on the north because the south side and the east gate's covered. And he led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east, and he's seeing now the water coming out of the perimeter fence of the temple. And as the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits. It's about a third of a mile, I think. And then he led me through the water that was ankle deep. And he measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. And he measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to his waist. And then he measured off another thousand. But now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. And he asked me, "'Son of man, do you see me?' And he led me back to the bank of the river. And when I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. And he said to me, "'The water flows towards the eastern region "'and goes down into the Arabah where it enters the Dead Sea. "'And when it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. "'Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows.'" And there'll be large numbers of fish because the water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. And fishermen will stand along the shore from engedi to an egg all down the length of the Dead Sea. And there will be places for spreading nets. And the fish will be of many kinds like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. And we pray the Lord will further bless his word to us. And so we've got this picture of this river coming out from the temple of God. It flows east into the the, the Jordan and then into the Dead Sea. You know, the Dead Sea is salty. Maybe something like 25% salt content. Nothing lives there. But when this river touches it, it teems with life. The dead becomes alive again. And there are trees there. And there is healing, and there is refreshing, and there is fruitfulness. I want us to to think about this because, as we we might expect, I believe this is a picture of what God did for the church at the first Pentecost. Uh, When the Holy Spirit poured out the Holy Spirit on the disciples at Pentecost, right there in Jerusalem, right where Ezekiel's vision was. Some even think that Pentecost happened in the temple. Um, uh, there, people came into the church, became Christians. Uh, wherever the Spirit touched, lives got changed to be born again. And indeed, there were fish of every kind. You read Acts 2, people came from all over the place into the kingdom of God, and God began to work. And the call for us is to, is to, to, to understand about the river of God and to see where we are in the river and to allow God to draw us deeper into his river. A.W. Tolzer, a famous preacher in times gone past, says that every Christian is as full of the Holy Spirit as they want to be. That every Christian is as full of the Holy Spirit as they want to be. He goes on to say, Make your heart a vacuum, and the Spirit will rush in to fill it. Make your heart a vacuum of the sprue or rush in to fill it. I just want to think about this river uh, under three titles very, very briefly. Uh, The first is the impossibility of this river. The next is the immensity of this river. And then thirdly, the impact of this river. It's impossibility. Where did this river come from? It came from the temple. The temple was on Mount Zion. Mount Zion is on the top of a mountain, a small mountain, but it's on the top of a mountain. Does anybody know any rivers that start on the tops of mountains? There are not many rivers that start on the tops of mountains, are they? The water seeps and trickles and it ends up in bogs and ditches and they get more and then a, di- a ditch will come out and then the ditch will get bigger and bigger and bigger and it will become a river. But see, this river starts coming forth from solid rock. It's a river that's a supernatural river. It's a river that counteracts the impossible Not just supernatural in the place from which it flows. It's supernatural in the speed in which it gathers pace. Within a mile and a half, this river has got so deep that it's uncrossable and it's too deep to put your feet on the bottom. And God is saying something very special. He's talking about Ezekiel as his vision. Go and read it from chapters 40 onwards of this perfect temple. And I wonder whether that perfect temple is the body of the bride of Christ that has been washed by his precious blood made perfect before the throne of God, filled with the glory of God, chapter 43. And out of that glory comes this river. I wonder if something speaks to us as the church, that that we're to live as that perfect temple, that bride, washed, clean, that in such a bride, God can dwell by His glory. And out of such relationship with God, then His river can flow, not just into us, but through us to touch those around about us. And uh, we know that uh, this river was impossible. It came out of solid rock. I wonder sometimes when we hear about God wants to bless us more, that to every person is as full of the Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian, as you want to be, whether you sort of think, oh, but this, oh, but that. I want us to think about this river, that it was impossible. It came out of solid rock. Is there anything in your own heart, in your own mind that that you think is a reason why not? And is it any bigger reason than a river coming out of solid rock? I believe that a lot of the reasons that stop us moving forward in in the things of God lie within our minds. I believe one of the most important verses of Scripture is Romans 12 and verse 2. And it says this, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. By the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. The battleground is the mind. Paul says we're to put on the helmet of salvation. We've got to keep our thoughts thinking. Salvation thoughts. God thoughts. So let's ask ourselves, what's my thought life like? It's one of the reasons why I think this is impossible. Because my thoughts aren't coming into line with Scripture thoughts. The verse there in, in Romans 12 talks about being conformed to the pattern of the world and it's, it's really talking about being uh, jigged to the pattern of the world. You know, when somebody wants to bend a piece of wood to maybe make a bolt, they've got to jig it so that it stops in shape. And after a while of being in that, that clamp, that jig, the wood will take on the shape that it's been jigged into, yeah? And that's what the world wants to do with us. It wants to pressurize us into its mold. He wants to force us into its shape. Anybody feel that pressure of the world coming upon them? Yeah, we do, don't we? We feel it. But he goes on, be transformed. The word there is different. It's not be jigged, be clamped, be shaped. It's, the word is there is metamorphosis. It's the same word that is used of a chrysalis becoming a butterfly. There's a work of the spirit that goes on in our hearts when we, we yield. That he doesn't force us. He comes and he supernaturally transforms us, metamorphosizes us. He calls us to be open to the work of the Spirit. There is nothing that is impossible for God. You remember when the disciples were asked by Jesus, feed these people. It was the 5,000. you remember? 5,000 men anyway. For some reason, the Hebrews only counted the men. There was obviously women and children there. At least there was one little boy. He came with his basket full of loaves and fish. Jesus already knew what he was going to do. But he says to his disciples, you feed them. And uh, was it uh, Philip who said, eight months' wages wouldn't be enough to feed all this lot. And Andrew said, here's a little boy's loaves. But what's that among so many? If you think about Philip, what did Philip do? Jesus knew what he was going to do. So he introduces to his disciples, what is he wanting to do? He's wanting to say to the disciples, I want to take you on a journey of relieving you of what you think is impossible and opening up to you the realities of what I know are possible in the things of God. When God asks you something, do you think practically and think, eight months' wages wouldn't be enough for that. It can't be done. Let's move on to the next subject. But even this morning, the Lord says to you, he already has in mind what he wants to do in your life. He already knows what he wants to do in you. And if you're coming at him and say, but Lord this, but Lord that, the Lord will say to you, hand over what you've got, then sit down and watch me work. Watch me do what I can do. Is that speaking to someone this morning? That You've got a reason as to why not. And your loving Savior would say to you, my child, it's not impossible. Yield to my will and yield to my purpose. And you'll see me do 5,000 <coughs> Feed 5,000 out of the little that you offer to me. You'll see me bring water out of a rock. That water that grows so fast, so fast. It grows so deep. And that's one of the awesome things that I've found about God. Sometimes I think that uh, he's going to take so long to do this. And yes, he does take us on patient journeys. Sometimes when I've drifted away and the enemy says, oh, it's going to take you ages to get back to that place in God. It's going to take you absolutely... And you sort of think, oh, yeah, it will. And you, you, don't, you put it off and you put it off. And then you come to that place of saying, Father, I've got to get back to you. I'm sorry. Cleanse me, Lord. Repent. Oh, Lord, I repent. Grant me the strength of that. And then in the space of a little while, all of a sudden, he's refreshed you with his presence. You're thinking, Lord, why did I ever listen to the enemy? Because he's a liar. And you've just blessed me with rivers. Not strict trickles, not little bits of drops. You've blessed me with the rivers of your presence. Thank you, Father. This river is impossible, but not to God. Don't take impossible for an answer. It flows out of the rock. But let's look at its immensity. And uh, it's a massive river. It grows very, very quickly. And we think about uh, rivers and the significance to cities. Think about the other powerhouses of the the, the day uh, when Jerusalem was a capital city. Ezekiel was way over there in Babylon. And uh, Babylon's capital city was, Babylon was was on the banks of the Euphrates River. And other capital cities of the day, the Assyrians beforehand, Nineveh on the banks of the Tigris River. And you think of the capitals of, of Egypt on the banks of the Nile. Every capital city that you know, was important was on the banks of a major, major river. Here's Jerusalem, stuck up the top of a mountain. <laughs> What's it saying? You know, what was a river? A river was a source of water. We all need water. i just had some. We all need water supply for life, to vegetate gardens, to irrigate gardens, and make food grow, to drink. Waters also, if it's a big enough river, is a source of commerce. As ships can sail up and down, it's a source of wealth, it brings wealth into the city. It can also be a source of protection. I mean, we even dig rivers round castles, we call them moats. On one side it can be completely protected, and here is... Jerusalem, where's its water supply? Maybe the pool of Siloam, just a tiny little spring that they've got to dig out all sorts of channels and aqueducts to make it feed the city. It has no natural water supply. They struggle. They struggle to keep the water supply there. So where's this commerce coming from as well that rivers bring? Jerusalem has none of that. And where's this protection coming from? Jerusalem has none of that too. And yet Jerusalem sees this supernatural river flowing from the temple. The other cities don't have that. It's as if God is saying to them, look, water for life, you need to look to me for your life and not to the things that the rest of the world looks to. Commerce, financial stability, productivity you need to look to me first and foremost for that in your life and not to the things that the world looks to to gain those things. Security, protection, safety. I am your safety. I am your security. I am your protection. Look to me and I'll supply you with a supernatural river. And maybe sometimes this isn't the reason why we we don't know how deep the river of God goes. Because we've been paddling in other pools too. We've been paddling in the world of earthly security or earthly finance or earthly uh, recognition. Or, um, and, and the Father says, one of the reasons why you're not delving into my river is because you've got your feet in other lots of bits of rivers. And the call to experience the depth of his river is a call to lay all other choices on one side. And know that I might be stuck at the top of the mountain and everybody else might be enjoying a whole other thing but I've got access to a supply out of a solid rock that they have no knowledge of. This is a supernatural river that feeds me. Do you know that, or are we looking in other places? It can be the very act of looking in other places that stops us taking on the provision of God. And as we look through this story, we note that it's impact. It goes into the Dead Sea, and it makes it live. And I have a deep conviction that the church is a source of blessing, not just light and life, St. or Light and Life, but Jesus' church, in whatever vein, uh, guise it looks like, we are a source of blessing in the earth. And uh, we are salt and we are light. We may think I'm not as good as I ought to be, but I believe that the presence of God is in the world because of the church to greater degree. And some of the stuff that would happen doesn't happen because of the prayers of God's people. So keep on praying because we have effect. We are salt. We are light. We do bring blessing. I once remember uh, as a a kid in my youth group, the Lord gave me a picture. It was a picture of a dam, and it was backing up an an immense reservoir. I could see the banks, but I couldn't see the end of it. It It was massive. And at the bottom of the dam, there were the sluice gates, and the sluice gates were open, and they were letting out a river into the valley. On either side of the river, there was vegetation and life, and it was releasing blessing into the valley. But as I looked closer, the dam was made up of people. And I knew that the people were believers. They were Christians. And they were sort of linked arm in arm. And they had the backs. And so they formed this dam. And it was almost as if the Lord was saying, my people are the source of blessing in the world. The sluice gates letting the river go. But as if the Lord was saying, my people are also the reason why there isn't more blessing. Because they hold it back too. And in the picture, I saw the people of God sort of turn sideways and the river just gushed, and the the dam just burst, and the blessing grew. There's There's a challenge for that. I want to encourage you and say, you are a blessing. God uses you as salt and light in the kingdom of God. But I want to say to you, he's a heart for more. He wants to use you more. And it means that we've got to do some movement. We've got to make a turn. We've got to change so that we can release Another favorite verse of Scripture is from Romans in chapter 8. And it talks about how God who gave us the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, he who did not spare his own son, but graciously gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? We've been worshiping a God who gave it all. A God who gave it all. He's given us Jesus. Do you think he's going to hold anything else back? He says, there's a song, when I sometimes preach, this, there's a song. Anybody remember the group Bread? Anybody? You've got to go back some. Okay. They're quite a nice group. There's some quite melodic stuff. One of the lines of their song says, you've taken the best of me, so come, take the rest of me. He's given us the best in Jesus. The whole of heaven is supplied, ready for you and I to go and claim in Jesus' name the fullness of the river. And God says there's a trickle flowing when it could be a burst down. And I feel the challenge of that in my own heart. I'm not speaking to you. Primarily speaking to me. I need to challenge myself on this. But I just want to encourage you to say there's more. It's not impossible. He brings stuff out of solid rock. He feeds 5,000. We need to change our thoughts so we can see what he's doing. There's more. This, this river. It was an impossible river out of super, out of rock. It was an immense river God was its supply, soul supply, its impact. It brought freshness and life. And the challenge for us is to get into the river. And sometimes when we've had a taste of the Holy Spirit, we can be content and just sit there. And this picture that is so beautifully illustrates that. There are some people who get born again. When you get born again, when you become a Christian, you receive God's Holy Spirit in your life. You're made new. If you're not a Christian today, you can be. Through putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, you can be transferred in a moment to an eternity separate from him. to spending the whole, the rest of your life and eternity in deep love relationship with him. If you've not done that this morning, why don't you? Will you not do that? Put your hand of faith and say, Jesus, I trust you as my Savior. And if that's you this morning, don't leave without speaking to John or one of the leaders of the church or even me. I'd love to talk with you, love to pray with you. It's the best thing you will ever, ever do is give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. But then for those of us who become Christians, we receive the Holy Spirit, we enjoy His presence, but it's like we have a paddle. And others move on and it's like we, we feel him up to our knees. And we can feel a bit more of a tug when you're in a river like that. You can feel the tug of the water and it feels like a bit stronger, a bit more powerful. And others get up to our waist and we can get moved on. It's a bit difficult to stand on our own way then. And then there's another place where your feet are off the bottom. Where are you at this morning? You enjoying just a little bit of the Holy Spirit? Yeah, that's nice. Every now and again have a worship service and a praise and sense his presence. And a bit, maybe a bit deeper at times. Father saying, I want you to go further. I want you to go where you're not in control, where your feet are off the bottom, and where you get carried along in the flow of my presence, in the flow of my purpose. And he calls us deeper. Jesus said in John chapter 7, he said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. And let him drink who believes in me. And out of his innermost being shall flow streams of living water. Uh, I remember back to when our kids were little and we had to bath and shower them. Thankfully we don't have to do that anymore. Now we just have to pick up wet towels and wash the shower down. But anyway uh, they still haven't learned to do that. But you know we're trying to get lads in the bath or the shower. is hard work. You know you switch the shower on. Bath's ready. Shower's ready. Come on. No. The lads are off down the garden anywhere. You know you're chasing around after them. The shower's running. Get in there. You know, you almost get them at one point and and just before you look, you turn out to get the soap and they've disappeared again. Our lads were a little bit like that sometimes about getting in the water. You know, the shower's on. There's no lad to be seen under it. Uh, The supply from heaven is on. It's never been turned off since Pentecost. The question is, where are you? Are you under the supply? Are you just under the edge getting your arm wet? You step right into the middle. And getting fully drenched. That's where God wants us to live. He wants us to live. It's our choice. Every believer is as full of the spirit as they want to be. There may be some reasons why not. We need to deal with those at the level of our thinking. Go and chat with somebody. Go and pray. Ultimately, there's no reason why not. God's supply has never changed. Jesus says, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. And drink. And drink. And then he says, out of your innermost being will flow streams of living water. Did you know that? In Ezekiel, the water comes from the temple. And I did talk about us getting into the water. But the image switches. Because in the new covenant, there is no temple building. You are the temple. Thank you. We are the temple. So when you see a temple on a hill and a river flowing through, that's not a stone building, that's you. You're the temple. You are the holy place in which God inhabits. And God wants the river to flow from you into the dead places. It flows when Ezekiel 40, we as a church, get more like God wants us to be. Ezekiel 43, when God's glory comes and inhabits the temple. And when that happens, his spirit can flow out of it to touch their places not just us corporately, corporately together with a church, but us in, with a temple. But individually, we are the temples of the Holy Spirit too. Individually, we can be those who allow the river to flow from us. I've just about done. Uh, but I hope that's encouraged you. I hope that's challenged. I hope that's blessed you. I hope it's blessed you in that, yeah, I may be challenged to know that there's a supply that I've not been taking on board. I hope you hear the call of the Father that says, My child, don't be content with a few spots on your skin. Get under the drenching. Get under the flow. Position your life to receive everything I've got for you. Jesus paid for it all. Don't leave anything on the shelf in heaven. Get everything off the shelf. Use it now. There's a vast supply. And church, by the grace of God, we will not only enjoy being in the river, but we will love God, allowing that river to flow through us, to touch the dead places of our lives. The dead places of the lives of the people that we rub shoulders with day by day by day. Isn't that great? Quickly, one final story just to bring encouragement. I love, I love one of my favorite New Testament stories is the story of the widow of Nain. You know that story? There's a widow coming out of the city funeral procession. Her only son has died. Loud weeping, loud wailing. Jesus is walking towards that city. He sees her. And he reaches his hand out to the bier, to the coffin. And he puts his hand on it, and the boy comes back to life. I love that because it's just so countercultural. You see, you didn't touch dead bodies in Jesus' day. Why? Because if you touched a dead body, you got contaminated. The Pharisees, the scribes, the priests don't touch death. It contaminates. You have got to go through purification rites once again. Jesus, you don't touch dead bodies because you become unclean. And as he touches the dead body, does he get contaminated by the death? No, it's the other way around. The death gets contaminated with his life. The death gets contaminated with his life. He infects the world with life, which is stronger and which do we think is sometimes stronger. We've come against that, life, in Jesus' name. May we be people, may I be a person who communicates life into the deadness. Praise God. Amen. Amen.